as we uh, begin today to talk about Journey 2017, um, I want to start with a, with a celebration as well as an introduction to what we're talking about. We love to celebrate whenever God allows us to see these, these visible ways that he's working, and he's working all the time. We could celebrate constantly, and we need to do more of that. But I love it when God just gives us a little peek of some things that he's doing in people's lives. And we have some, some young men that over the past several months God has spoken to specifically. And you'll be hearing from, from them over the next course of the next weeks. So and I want to start with this, this particular story today of a young man who God has been working on and showing him what his next step in his journey. And he's willing to take it and he's actually going to start the journey in the very next few days. So watch the screen for a moment as you hear this story this morning as we continue. My name's Ty Metzger, and this is my story. Well, uh, my story starts uh, a long time ago when I was uh, growing up in the Lutheran church. I um, went to church every Sunday when the doors were open. Um, we were there, and so looking back, I was, I was checking off boxes, and just, I was going to church, going, I was baptized in Lutheran church, uh, got confirmed. You know, I thought, because I was in church every Sunday, and I was going to the Bible studies, that I was good. And looking back, I never even knew who, who Christ was in my life. I never, I didn't even know who God was, let alone who, who the Savior was. And Dad asked me one Sunday morning when I was hungover, he said, he said, do you want to go to Calvary with me? I, I was kind of, whatever, you know, just to shut him up, mainly get lunch afterwards is what I was looking for. And I just kept going back to Calvary. I don't know why. Uh, one Sunday after church, a uh, pastor stopped me and I just happened to have to come back into church. I don't remember why. And uh, he said, hey, I got a question for you. He said, do you want to go on a mission trip? And I just said, yeah. And, um, and it turns out it was to Haiti. And I went with a, a good group of guys. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better, uh, better first trip. God did a lot to me that, that trip. Um, and, and before I went, um, I asked God to break my heart for that, for that people group. And, and, um, and he answered. And... Uh, but, but I think more so, he, he broke my heart for people in general. And two weeks later, uh, I went with Carlos and, and Callie and Steph to, uh, to high school camp. Uh, we were sitting there in worship, and, uh, and the message that had been talked about was, was just phenomenal. But, but they played Oceans afterwards, and, um, and that song, for you guys that don't know it, uh, just powerful. Um, but said, you lead me, you know, where, where my trust is without borders and calling me into deeper waters. And, and that's what was holding me back was that I had been so independent my whole life. And, um, and, and I just felt like God saying, you know, it's time for you to, to let me have you. I'm calling you. So let me have you. And, uh, and he called me that night and he called me to go and, and I didn't know where. And looking back, I, I thought it was to Haiti and, and, the more I've honed in, and, and this the story that we've been going through is has been phenomenal in church because it's it's deepened my faith in ways that I never dreamed it would. Um, but most of the people that I that I, as I've been reading the Old Testament, they didn't know where they were going when they went, and they didn't, you know, God didn't tell them step ten. Um, they told them step two, and and you go step two, and when step two's done, He's got to take you through step two to get to step three. And I realized that what I did at camp was I just, God was just asking me to say yes. Just say yes to whatever he had for me. And that he'd, he'd open doors and he'd shut doors as, as needed. 
Yeah, it's just amazing to look back and see what God's done. If you see Ty today, um, this will be his last Sunday with us for a while. He's going to actually go to a Christian college and begin his studies to begin to follow and, and see where that door is that the Lord's opening for him. So give him a hand today. And I think that's an awesome opportunity just to begin what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. I'm sure some of you uh, are wondering why we're doing these particular services this way. Um, some of you may have forgot that we have a 930 service, but I won't mention any names. But, some of, but anyway, we, we do have a, we've made some changes, and I, 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 I'm glad that you're, you're flexible enough to, to listen to why we're doing it. We're setting aside three Sundays, changing the service times, doing all these things in a very special way, and it's temporary. We're, I, I love the fact that we're full in, in here. This is great. And I saw some of you had trouble finding your seats, finding your wife, whatever. It was, it was an interesting morning. And this is temporary because we still, to be able to grow, we've still got to be able to have two services, but I want to spend the next, this Sunday and the next two Sundays just to really be able, for one, I, I hope that you sense the kind of a, an excitement and urgency as we come because we, we've changed things up. I hope that you understand that. I also hope you come ready to listen and respond, and, and I also hope that, that this just enables us to move forward because we're all hearing it together, and, and I, you, I, you get to hear from my heart, and we get to hear it in, in, in one service, one time in unity together, and I'm looking forward to what God's going to do as we continue in this, this particular journey. So this is an exciting week. I hope you didn't come expecting a downer because that's not at all what this is. This is excitement about what God is doing. This is a journey. But there are some um, particular sayings that perhaps you've, you've heard about journeys, like the sense of big journeys always begin with small steps. Like, like Ty said, one step, two steps. Uh, the idea that uh, it's always a, a one-step-at-a-time type movement, that's what a journey does. Uh, we really believe here at Calvary that it's our job to lead people to follow Jesus by taking their next steps. That's honestly what, what we think this is, this is how God has called us to operate. But as the saying goes, sometimes the first step is the hardest. But I'll just be honest, sometimes the second and third step's not a whole lot easier. It's a journey. And it's a matter of taking the step as God, allow, as God pr- provides it for you. And, and with that thought in mind, taking steps, and as we get into this journey idea, the, the fact that the point that, that God impressed on my heart to emphasize today is this particular, this particular thought you see it on your outline. And, and we're, we're addressing today the fear factor. How does fear affect us taking these steps in our journey? How is fear a factor in, in my life? How is fear a factor in yours, in your, in your daily journey, in your spiritual journey specifically? Of course, I can't say that phrase without most of us referring back to a reality show not too long back called this very thing, the, the fear factor. Uh, do anybody watch that show? Okay. Uh, the, uh, the whole idea was being willing to face your fears for, in that case, it was for money. Okay, if you're willing, how far are you willing to go for cash, for all, for all those kind of things? So they, they did things like eating nasty food and jumping off high buildings, you know, and all. And, and the only thing that, did anybody know what the only thing that ever got me was? You ain't put me in a box with snakes. I'm just sorry. There ain't not enough money in the world to put me in a box with poisonous snakes, okay? So, but they all did those things, facing your fears and, and the idea of what we want to unpack. And we can't unpack the whole idea of fear today. Obviously, that's a series in and of itself. But I want to address that as it has to do with us taking our step in the journey that God has called us 
emotionally, personally, and as a church. Something interesting, and many of you probably know this, many psychologists say, uh, people that study these things, say that there are really only two basic fears that humans have. Not everyone agrees, but many of them believe this. The two basic fears that we're born with is the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. Now think about that. A lot of them come back to that. From very early at birth and on through, throughout, you can come up to someone with a loud, why, what do we like to do when we, we come up, boom, and we like to see people jump, right? We love to see that. Even my, my grandbaby, I saw her do that, and it's, it's not funny, but it is. You know, you go, hey, and, and she does, and she does that shaking thing, right? And you see some an adult do that, and it's just hilarious. Or the fear of falling. The, I, just this morning, there, there, a young lady just happened to be sitting on the back of a chair, and I just, I don't know why I do these things, and I just pulled on the chair and got the reaction of that, right, that, that idea, that fear of falling. Two basic fears. Now, whether that's actually accurate, if there's more than those basic fears or not, the point is this. There are only a very few that are basic, intrinsic-born fears, but all the other fears are still real. The fear, the fear of, in my case, fear of snakes, those things are, are real. Fear of bridges, fear of dark, fear of those, those are, those are real fears, but if there's only two or three basic fears, that means all the other fears are learned fears. You learn those fears based on either experiences you've had, or maybe you heard somebody else's experience. You've never been in the water, but you're afraid of drowning because someone has talked about drowning. Right? How many? Most of us in this room are scared to death of sharks, and we've never seen one. Right? But you're scared of them because of the experience. It's a learned fear, which tells us if most of our fears are learned, then is it possible to unlearn some of those fears? Is it possible to address those fears and be able to to move forward and not let those fears stop us, or or maybe not even stop us, but just to stop the joy that we could have in the journey because of the fears that are that are coming upon us? So. Some of you can, this day are considering some steps in your life, personally, spiritually, in this journey as a church. So here's some things as we get on, to, as we're going to talk about. Here's the thing. All of us have fears. Fear is a factor in all of our lives to some degree or another. There's something within us that, that fear can either hold us back or can keep us from enjoying the journey. That's part of what, what, we're, what we understand to be true. The other thing is just asking ourselves, how are these fears affecting my daily life? What is it about fear that is stopping me in this journey, and how can we address or maybe even unlearn some of those fears that are, that are part of our lives? That's what we want to we hopefully get to as we move through today. All right? With that in mind, there's a biblical lesson that that I've been learning, um, I've learned it all of my life, but it's becoming very real in the last few days. Some aspects of my journey and even of the journey of Calvary, I see comparable to some Old Testament uh, biblical stories, right? Uh, Ty mentioned the same thing. As you go through, you start seeing kind of your life running parallel to some of these stories. And, and, th- and, and that's what we've been doing over the last several months, walking through the story, seeing how that God has been working all of these, and he continues to work in his story through the lives of people thousands of years ago and, and even in our day, how God is still working. Uh, and it, we will continue this story. We, we, in fact, I would encourage you to continue reading. We're about chapter 13 this week, so continue to reading, and we'll pick that up in a sermon in a couple of weeks. But the whole idea is, if you remember back in the story, one of the early chapters that we read, the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, 400 plus years. They'd been, a, they'd been in slavery under, under a, a, a regime that was, you know, they, 
literally considered them as lower than, than human in their existence. And so for 400 years, they experienced that, and God delivered them miraculously. Ten plagues, all of the, the crossing the Red Sea. He gave this, this miraculous deliverance, and all of it was saying, I'm taking you to a land that I have promised to give you a promised land that I want you to have. And so they started on some, this amazing journey, and it wasn't just the geography that they were going to. This was a picture of, of what God had in mind for them, his journey, his success, where, where he wanted to prosper them. That whole promised land thing was what they were looking forward to see where God had delivered them. So these, these million-plus people take out from Egypt, headed to their promised land. It's a great, victorious journey. Takes them, you know, It should take them just a, a few days, a few months for all these people. And in about a year and a half, they finally find themselves on the border of where God has promised they're going to be. They send in 10 spies who are going to scout out the land to see what it's like, and, and all of the spies come back with this report. This land is flowing with their term milk and honey, which simply means this is a great place to live. This is everything God had told us. It's all these things are, are just amazing, but 10 of the 12 scouts said, but... There's also giants there. I mean, the land is great, but to get that land, we're going to have to go against some people that are going to, they're, they're going to tear us apart. And immediately you could see the people, and, and they were beginning to be moved and, and motivated by fear rather than by the promise that God had given them. In fact, Joshua, one of the two that said that we should go in, he said, listen, folks, and he literally said, do not be afraid. He, he said, the Lord told us to come here. He will deliver us. He said, do not be afraid. But fear became the thing that stopped them, and it stopped them for 40 years from going into that promised land. It kept them for 40 years from entering that. So 40 years they, they traveled, they wandered, looking for the, just not able to go in because fear had stopped them from that. So now we come to the end of that 40 years. And we're at book, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, at the end of those 40 years, the people have now, uh, many of them have now died. Most, all of those that were uh, 20 years old and, old and older had passed from the, from the, the earth. Moses has died. Now Joshua and the people are moving into their position. In chapter 31, here's what God says to them one more time. And I want to say it to you. Be strong and courageous. Notice, do not be afraid or terrified. Then he turns to Joshua specifically and he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Obviously, Moses speaking here, he knew that what the Father had in mind for them. He knew that the fear could be a definite factor. So literally what he's saying is, fear stopped our progress before. Don't let fear do that again. Don't let fear stop you from taking the step that God has in mind for you. All right, let's keep that in mind. And, and I'm going to ask you now, to just put down your pens just for a minute. I want to spend just a few minutes, and I want to share with you now what, what I see, some of the things that I, that I have experienced uh, as part of this church and part of the journey that we talk about where we're moving forward. Well, some of the journey as we celebrate, last year we celebrated 70 years as a church. What an amazing uh, gift of God and the way that he has worked in this community through this church, the heritage of faith that is represented in this church of 70-some years. But it is a journey. It's an ongoing journey. Now, personally, um, I became a part of the journey of Calvary, well, in an unofficial sense, about 30 years ago when I met this cute little 
uh, blonde-headed girl, right? And she came and introduced me to you fine folk about 30-some years ago, right? That's where I was introduced unofficially. But officially, our journeys intersected about six and a half years ago when the Lord called us as your pastor and you called us as your pastor to come here and, and we began this journey together. It, that, that's where the, this, this begins in my heart, and I, I want to share with where, where I think God has been leading and, and taking us to this point. Here's what's interesting is even before we moved here, God had been putting me on a journey. And part of that journey, and this was my spiritual journey was already going, but he was kind of a journey within a journey, just rediscovering what it was that, that the church was supposed to look like. Over the years, I'd been a part of church all of my life, been in ministry for several years, but I, but I begin to notice what a lot of others notice, and that is that, that there's, a, there's a certain decline in what's, in what's happening in church and the, the lack of commitment or the, the, just the, the lack of energy and, and people even giving up on the church. And what I was finding was, what's wrong with this picture? I mean, Jesus died for the church. The church is his bride. My, my love for the church was growing even stronger, but my, my, there was a sense of what's happening. How do we change this? And I begin to, in my heart, see that as a church, we need to reclaim what it is that God has called us to do and, and begin to do it again because that's where, the, that's where he's calling is for our lives. And so that journey was already going on in my heart. So 2010, when this church called us here, well, now I'm on this journey God brought me here, and the per timing was perfect, in my opinion, because we're, we're coming, now I get to share this journey with you, and, and as I talk to the leaders of the church, and I talk to many of you, you too sense that need of, 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 as we didn't put it in these words then, but we need to take the next step and do what God has called us, and the leadership, we were all excited as a church of what God was going to do, and we, and we, we, we see what God can do in this community through this church. He's been doing it for 70 years, right? So... If you remember, some of you were here in the early year, early months of 2011, I laid out a vision of what I believe God has in mind, part of what God has in mind for our church. And you'll see a, a map that some of you may recognize. I, I really believe to this day that it's not an accident that Calvary is where it is. Now, those circles aren't exact, but it just gives you an idea that, yes, we have about 12,000 people in this town, but do you realize within driving distance of, of, our, of our North Campus property, within just 20 to 25 miles, which people will drive, there is over 40,000 people in that area. And the fact of what Calvary could do to make an impact, not only in Taylorville, but in Edinburgh and Kincaid and Pena and, and Nokomis and all the, these towns and, these little, and all the farms that, that are accompanied, all, all the people that God would have. And, and that's what we set out saying, this is what God wants us to do. And folks, to this day, I still believe, I still believe that God has this in mind for Calvary Baptist Church. But what I also began to realize as we got into this that I wasn't the only one on a journey. Calvary had also been on a journey. Some of you, I don't think, even realize the depth of that journey that God had, had you on. Some of that journey was based off of, of some of the past experiences. There were some hurts. There were some disappointments. There was some expectations never met. There were some th there were issues had gone on here, and some of them were never addressed. And then there was also great things that had happened and, and pastors that led and people that did great things. And, and we have this journey. But again, Calvary was, was trying to find their way. When we, what we began to realize before a few months was over, that Calvary had, had really been a, a divided church that still wanted to come back together and serve God and to make an impact in this community. 
it's about that point that I realized that our journeys had collided, not just intersected. And God had been working in my life, and similar to what he's been working in yours, to we know that there is something God is doing here. We just need to find out what that is. So for the past four and a half, five years, we've been on journey just rediscovering what it is that God has called us to do. And I have a feeling it's been frustrating for some of you. I guarantee it's been frustrating for me. I mean, I feel like just like the children of Israel, when they didn't get it for 40 years, they're running around in circles. Well, I've been, I feel like I've been running in circles. I feel like the church, and, and it just, but do you understand that during that circle, that wasn't a wasted circle time. That was where God was teaching us, and God is preparing us, and God is getting us ready. And, and one of the things that, that has emerged from all of this is a re- rediscovery of what we are. The church is still God's way of reaching the world. The church is still God's bride. The church is still who we're to love, but we have a mission. And that mission we know is in Matthew 28 and verse 19 where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's what we are still called to make disciples. And we said that for all these years, but we realize that's what we're called to do. We're called to make disciples, to see people grow, to, see, to make a difference. And so that's where we come to this idea. Calvary's mission is leading people to follow Jesus by taking their next steps. Disciples making disciples. Now, those aren't just words, folks, and I hope you just, you're not just saying, oh, here we go again. I've heard, understand, that's what we, in the past four and a half years, this is the one thing that I knew for all of my life, but it's coming just full circle right into my face saying, this is what we're called to do, to make disciples, that make disciples, to lead people to take their next step, to see God doing this in their life. And we've, over the last four and a half years, we've been learning, we've been growing, we've had, we've had talks, we've had discussions, our leaders, we've added life groups, all of these things. And what God has been showing us is, I just needed you to make sure you understood. This is what you're called to do. Make disciples. Get back to what God has called you to do and do that. And, and here's what I found, folks, and this is why of all this, why I feel like these three weeks are so critical for us, is in my opinion, the fog is finally starting to lift. It, it really seemed like it was a wandering, and I just, the next step, I could barely even see that, but I feel like God is showing us the fog is starting to lift, and now you've been circling the block for the last six years, 20 years, whatever the journey has taken us. Now it's time to take your next step. Now it's time to start pursuing the journey. We've got still a lot to learn. We don't have it all in place. I get all of that. But now we know what we've called to do, and it's time for us to take that step again, to stop circling, to get off the treadmill, and start doing what God has called us to do. Now all that being said, that's where fear starts to kick in. Because it's almost become comfortable over the last four and a half, five years to just talk about this. To just say, oh, this is what we need to do, and we philosophize, and we, have, we talk, and we talk, and we talk. Now God's saying, okay, we've talked enough. It's time to take a step. And it's like, oh, wait a second, God. I, I don't know about that. That first step is always a doozy. That first step or several of the steps coming. Because, God, I, I think back, and I've made some mistakes in my 50-some-odd years of life. I've made mistakes in, in the 30 years of ministry. We've made mistakes here in the last six and a half years. This church has seen mistakes and failures and hurts, and we, sometimes we let that kind of stop where we're, because I remember where it has been, God, and I don't want to go there again. 
I also think of just the culture we're around, and there's a culture around us that really doesn't care if we go forward and would rather we just kind of go away, and so we're fighting against that, and I, I get all of that. Even the fact that we're just uncertain, and we don't know exactly what God has us to do. Do you understand? In, in, in my heart, you're looking at a scared pastor, and I'm just being as honest as I can be. Because I believe that God has called us, and, and now just saying those words out loud, my stomach starts doing these kind of things. Anybody, anybody understand what I'm talking about? When you know you've started to do something and you start to do it, all of a sudden your stomach goes, are you sure? Right? And, and you're, and you're, that's, that's the point we're at, folks. As a church, God is saying, you know where you need to be going. You're going to continue to learn and grow, but it's time to take that next step. It's time for all of us. Whatever you're, wherever your step is, at some point, it's time to, to stop talking and start walking. To stop just philosophizing about it and start doing what God has called us to do. So with that thought of fear, now you can pick back up your pens again because I, I want to just focus on that for a minute. I want to focus on the fact that I, I believe, whether you've admitted it or not, I, I believe that all of us, some of the things that hold us back, if we just get down to it, is because we're afraid of something. Afraid of past mistakes, afraid of the future we don't, but there's something, and, and I want to address that idea of fear. And, and so as we were studying for this this week, a, a very familiar story just kind of hopped off the page to me, and I want to share it as we address this idea of, of fear directly. Mark chapter number 4. You'll see some of the verses on your outline, or you can look in the scriptures with me. Mark chapter number four, we're looking in the life of Jesus, and he's going to face these, face fear just head on, and I, and I want to do the same today. Here's how the story goes. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. He had just finished teaching. They were on one side of the Sea of Galilee. He said, let's go to the other side. Here's what happens. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and there were other boats also with them, and a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I want to stop right there. Let's look at this story for a moment. And I want to, if you've been here long enough, I'm not a big alliteration guy. I don't often use the same letter to introduce things. But this one just seems to kind of come out to me this way. So you're going to see some, some letters off to the side because maybe this will help us even remember. As we address fears, as we're looking at taking the next step, what, can, what are some things that we can remember or keep in mind as we're taking this journey? So I want you to remember these words. The first word that I want you to give is the word purpose. Uh, the, the word as you look through what, what God has said to these, the very first thing Jesus said to them, verse 35, is let's go to the other side. Now, that may not seem much to you, but look what it's, what it's saying is I have a definite plan for you. This was a specific leading. They knew exactly where Jesus was. They knew exactly where he wanted them to go. They knew exactly what he wanted them to do. And so he just simply said, get in the boat. This is, but understand, inside there, it's implied. That's a promise, too. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. In other words, he's saying, we are going to the other side. I'm not taking you to drown in the middle of the lake. We are going from point A to point B. There's a promise involved here. There's a purpose. I have a design for you. Trust me. Do what, do what I have told you to do. There's an express purpose going to the other side. So here's what I want to just encourage us, Calvary. Stay on our knees. Stay in the word of God. 
But understand that as we do, we can trust. God is leading us. God is showing us. If we're doing what God has called us to do, we're getting back to the mission God has called us to do, then we should get in the boat and follow him. Get to the other side. That's the first word, purpose. But the second word is the word problem. The next verse says, And a furious squall came up. A ferocious storm came up. At at some point, folks, this is always going to happen. This is what we got to understand. We're taking this journey. We're following God as a church, as individuals. I promise you the storms will come. As one man said, you're probably just leaving a storm, or you're probably right in the middle of the storm, or there's a storm just about to happen. But storms are real. Parts of our life when this, this kind of stuff, these furious storms, understand many of the guys in that boat were seasoned sailors, and yet you find they were completely shaken by this whole thing. And what happens when the problem comes? The first reaction is, at that point, we begin to doubt the purpose. The problem rises, and then we think, oh, maybe I made a mistake. Now, I, maybe that's none of else in this room except me, but when you start to second-guess yourself and you start saying, listen, I know this is what God wants us to do, and you start to do it, and immediately a storm comes, you think, oh, wait a second, maybe that wasn't such a good idea after all. You start to doubt the purpose when the problem arises. It's possible that this storm God had brought to test these guys. That's very possible. It's also possible that this storm was a direct attack of the enemy himself, Think about this, if that, that, why this could be possible. What a perfect opportunity. If Satan can take out the Messiah and all of his initial leaders all in one shot, what a great thing. Maybe this was an, an attack, one of Satan's attempts to actually stop the church before it ever got started. Whatever it is, something was trying to stop them. Something was trying to distract them. Something was trying to take away this joy and even stop perhaps their journey. And whatever it is in our lives, understand that when God gives you a purpose, fantastic. Yes, it's a vision. It's what God wants. But I promise you the problem has come. But don't let that cast doubt on God's purpose. Don't forget, God called us to do this. God has shown us. I promise the storm will come and and the problem will arise. Even as you say, I'm going to take a step. (laughs) I'll just be honest. It'll probably hit you before you even get home today. That's usually how quick storms come. You make a decision, I'm going to do this, and before you, before you ever put the ink to paper, it, it, it already you face an issue with it. You understand, the problem doesn't negate the purpose of what Jesus has told us to do. Third word I want you to get is the word perspective. Because right in the middle of the story, it tells us that Jesus, where we find him, he was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Now, let's see if we understand the story. Jesus had just had a long day of teaching. He had just, and healing and miracle working, all those things. And in his, in his person on earth, he, his body got tired. And he was exactly where many of you are. At the end of the day, he was tired. He was exhausted. He said, guys, let's get in a boat, go across. He gets in, and he just takes a nap. But when this storm arises, and the storm is described as a furious squall, one that's overtaking the boat, the waves, I, I can just only imagine from pictures what a wave, a storm when waves would, like, would look like, but where you find Jesus is still asleep in the boat. It's, it's not bothering him at all. He is, I talk about how babies sometimes are startled. Babies are also amazing sometimes that they can sleep through just about anything. When they really get asleep, the whole house can be an uproar and the baby's going, you know, just snoring away, right? This is Jesus in the middle of all this storm and he's still asleep on a cushion in the boat. Now, 
the picture of Jesus sleeping in a boat could possibly have a couple different reactions, depending on how your perspective is on Jesus. When you're in the middle of a storm, a terrible crisis, and Jesus is sleeping, what does that say to you? Now, now one way you could look at it is, is this. It's a picture of absolute peace. It's a picture of he's in control. It's a picture of he's not worried. He's sovereign. He's God. This storm, are you kidding me? He had created the waves. He's not bothered at all. It's this picture of absolute peace and calm and tranquility. And and seeing Jesus asleep just reminds me, he's in control. What am I worrying about? Or it could be an indication, our perspective saying that he doesn't really care about us. And that's where the disciples went with this. Because they're going through this storm, and they need help, and the one person they think can help is actually asleep. And what was their question? Do you not even care that we drown? We come to the point sometimes in life when we, it, maybe the problem has arisen to the point that, that we, we were afraid, we're scared, and we cried, and we look, and it seems like God's doing nothing. Jesus is asleep. We're in the middle of the storm, and what's God doing? God's doing nothing. He's just letting the storm roll. Do you not even care, God? Don't you see what we're going through? From their perspective, this sleep was a sign that God didn't even care about them. And that leads me to the the next word, and that is we react to storms. And and I'll give you two possible ways or probable ways. And I want to encourage you in one of these, but many times when we face storm, our first reaction is panic. Their Their response was, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, some might say, oh, they're just being overdramatic. Are you really going to drown? I mean, it's just you've been through storms before. But obviously there was something in this storm that scared them to the point where they thought this could be the last. But here's the thing. It's a natural response when you're in the worst case to think that this is, this is going to be the, the end. This is, there's no way out. This is this hopeless fear and panic just has a way of taking over the journey and either stopping us from taking a step or while we're taking the steps, even re, re, just taking the joy away from what we could do. I, I remember, talk about fear. Um, one of the things that, I, that I've enjoyed in life is roller coasters. And one of the things about roller coasters is it's that mix of fear and excitement right? There's that mix of you get up the top of the hill and you know that thing's going to go 90 miles an hour straight down, but then there's an excitement and all of this. But a friend of ours told us, he was a pastor and he was telling this story, that in Ohio they had this, this monstrous roller coaster. It's one of the largest, tallest, and it goes ba- literally straight down from I can't remember how many stories, and then it takes this curve, and at some point you're doing four Gs around this curve. The speed and the and absolute terror of this roller coaster. And he said, I was so excited. I had one of the teenagers from my church, and we're getting on this roller coaster. We go up, we wait for two hours in line, we get up, we get locked in, we take off, we hit that curve, and he said, and I literally blacked out. He passed out on that roller coaster. And the reason he knows is because he's on the camera going, He's like that. He said, my tongue's out, slobber. The teenager next to me is laughing his head off because I literally just passed out, and I missed the whole ride. I missed it all because I was gone. It just fear overtook me to that point. So I thought it was interesting, and I'll just chat. Well, if you ever go to YouTube and you want to look, they have a whole series of people who just black out on roller coasters, and it's because they do. They, and they're just all over, and their friends are laughing at them. The camera's right, and it's because that fear has, and what happens? They, they miss the whole joy or the excitement or whatever because they literally fear is overtaken. There. You see what's happening in their lives. Jesus said, I got a purpose for you. We're going from here to here. 
Well, as soon as they started, or at some point in the journey, a problem arose. And now they begin to doubt whether this was a good idea, whether Jesus is. And so what do they do? In their panic, they cry out and they say, Jesus, do you really care? That's one reaction. Let me give you another possible reaction. And this is one I want us to shoot for today. You're not going to find this reaction in this story, but there's a comparable story I I want to take you to, and it's in the book of Acts, a guy by the name of Paul. And instead of panic, here was Paul's response. Paul's, well, let me just catch up on the story. In Acts chapter 16, Paul the apostle finds himself in a storm. A ferocious squall would be a great representation. He's not on the water. He is literally for what he's been doing for Jesus. And I want you to make sure you understand, in Acts 16, he is right where God told him to go, right at the time God told him to be there, doing exactly what God told him to do. It wasn't, he was not out of God's will at all. He was right where he needed to be. And in the midst of all of that, he gets arrested, he's beaten, and he's thrown into a literal maximum security prison for his faith, for what God told him to do. Now, based on this reaction, the first thing would be to say, God, are you, really? Do you not care that I'm, I'm hurting God, do you not care? God, what, what, I, my, did I make a wrong decision? Did I go the right? I, I knew you called me, but this is a mess, God. What are you doing? Panic or Acts 16, his word we would use, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Our choices in the middle of a storm could be to panic or to praise. To panic And to say, God, this isn't working. Why did I do this? Why did you do this? Or to praise and say, God, you know what? (laughs) This is a tough storm, but you're still God. You're still in control. You still love me. You still know what you're doing. This is your journey, and I'm not going to let my fear take away the joy of what you have called me to do. The last word I want you to give plays in both these stories, and that's the word power. Because when the disciples panicked, Jesus stood up, and I love this part of the story, he rebuked the waves. Guys, would you calm down? I'm trying to sleep here. He rebuked the wind. He said, guys, quiet, be still. And there was immediate calm. Now, I don't know if you heard this in the, when we read it originally, the f- first part, but the Bible said there were other boats that went with them on this journey. Do you realize that all those boats experienced the same miracle? They were all in the same storm. They weren't all in the same boat with Jesus, but they were all in the same storm going to the same place, and now suddenly it's calm. Think about the reaction. Think about the, the impression that God's power had on all of their lives, on the fact that they saw God in, a, in an instant stand and rebuke the winds, and it all goes quiet. And the power that's involved in Jesus in Paul's life, again, it wasn't calming a storm, but Paul and Silas are praying. They're singing hymns at midnight in the middle of all this pain, and God literally opens the doors, knocks the chains off their feet. You see, here's what we got to understand. No matter what storm we face, We're in God's purpose, doing what God has called us. By perspective, his sleep does not mean that he doesn't care. It means that he's in control. And then we can can just rest assured that if God, God has called us, that his power is big enough to conquer anything, to open any door, to stop any storm, to do whatever. So Jesus asked two questions as we wrap up this story. The first question is, so why are you so afraid? This is where it starts getting personal to me. 
of all the things God has called us, okay, it is natural. We have a fear of falling. We have a fear of noises. We have a fear of drowning, whatever. Those are natural. And and we have natural apprehension. And so I I don't think Jesus, uh, honestly, Jesus wasn't rebuking them because they ever had a fear. That's natural. We're going to fear. But what's the problem is their fear was mixed with unbelief. Their fear was not this, boy, this this is just hard for this this excitement and this, this dread. It was a matter of God, you don't even care. Their fear was this lack of trust and belief in who God was. Maybe it was a, they were failing to believe his word because, remember, he said we're going to the other side. He didn't say we're going to stop in the middle. We're going to the other side, and, and so they, they failed to believe that. Or, or they failed to believe in his, his care for them and the fact we already know that that's their problem or even the big picture. Think about this for a moment. They are just talking to the Messiah, and they said to this, we, don't you care that we are about to drown? We mean to all of them. He's, they look at the Messiah and they say, Jesus, you're about to drown. Does that not just make no sense at all? To understand that they're missing God's big picture. The fact that God is big enough. He's powerful enough. He can do this. And so his question is, why are you so afraid? God has a step for you. God is calling you. God has a purpose for you. The storms are huge. I get that. Life is tough. Understood. But why are you so afraid? Do you forget the power that's inside your boat, the power of what Jesus can do? And the second question he says is, and do you still have no faith? If you were to go back and look at the chapters before this, Jesus has performed some huge miracles. Jesus has healed. He's, he's, he has uh, amazingly done this, these natural works, all through, turning water into wine, healing the lion, the, leper, the, the blind, the lepers, the lame, all of these. He's healed all these people, and he says, now all these things you've seen, why do you still have no faith? You know that I'm real, and Christians, if you've been in this faith a day or 50 years, we can never say, I, I don't think God can do this. We've seen him at work. We've seen the way he changed our lives. He's saying, Where, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith. When, when you look at this same story in Luke, here's how Luke, the, the way that Luke phrases this question, he asks, where is your faith? Which could mean, one, where has your faith gone? Why is it no longer here? But it also could mean this, what are you putting your faith in? Are you trusting in your job? Are you trusting in your abilities? Are you trusting in your career? Are you trusting in your wisdom? In these cases, are you trusting in your ability to be a great sailor and get it? What are you, where is your faith? What is your faith in? And as long as your faith is in anything else, yeah, you have a lot to be afraid of, but if your faith is in the one who saved you and gave his life for you, then you have the ability to trust. So, we've talked about our journey, we've talked about fear that could stop us from taking steps. Let's go back to that original story. Joshua and the people have been 40 years circling the wilderness. God says, it's now time for you to take your step. In the book of Deuteronomy, we read where he told the people and Joshua, be strong, courageous, don't be afraid. Now we go to the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Moses is gone. The people are getting ready, and here's what God says to Joshua, verse number 9. And this is a verse I would challenge you to memorize this week. If you don't know it already, challenge, put this on your somewhere where you can remember it, because as you take this step, these steps in your journey, listen to this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
Calvary, let's say this verse together. I want you to hear yourself saying these words. Joshua 1.9, say it with me. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Jesus has a purpose. I know that problems are going to come. But remember the perspective that God is in control. And from that, rather than panic, choose to praise because the power of an almighty God is with you wherever you go. Here's what I found interesting. That that phrase, be strong and courageous, we've already heard it two other times from the book of Deuteronomy. Now we've heard it once here, and this is actually the third of four times that's listed in this chapter alone, Joshua 1. So we have a total of six times that Joshua and the people hear these words, be strong and courageous. And I shared this yesterday with our leaders. Why do I, why do I think that is? Because I think Joshua was scared. Joshua was a big, mighty mar- army man, but this is a huge step that he's never been to before. And so God knew that. The people knew that. And God can continually reminds him, I've got a step in your journey. Be strong and courageous and take that step. I've called you, Joshua. I've called you, Mr. Switzer. I've called you, Calvary Baptist Church. Be strong and courageous and do what I've called you to do. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Let me remind you of this, church. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That's the same power that those disciples saw that stilled the waters. The same power that, that uh, Paul saw that opened the, ki- the, the prison doors. The same power that Joshua was going to experience as they step in and they do what God has called them to do. That same power through the Holy Spirit is at work within us. So let's give glory to God and do more than we could ever ask or imagine. Be strong and courageous. Before we end, I want to go back one more time to that story of the disciples and Jesus. There was one verse that ends that story that I hadn't, we haven't read yet. Mark chapter number 4 and verse 31. After all of this has happened, the storm is calm. The, the, they're now, the, everything's set back in order. The miracle's over. Verse 41, listen to what, the, how the Bible describes the disciples. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Does anybody else go, what? <laughs> okay, we just went through all this. They were scared. They cried out, oh, you're going to drown. Oh, we just can't do this. Jesus calms it. Everything's, the miracle's over. And then the next description is they were terrified. However, before we get too, too down on the disciples, that word terrified actually has a, a separate meaning. And the meaning really comes back to this. It has the idea of reverence. In fact, Luke gives us the idea of two words. When Luke gives the same description, he says that they were moved with fear and amazement. It's that mixture of excitement and fear. Folks, what I'm asking you to do as we take this journey, what God's asking me to do, there is going to be moments when we hear what God wants us to do, and it's going to be like, oh, no, that's, that's awful tough, and you want to feel the fear. It's going to happen. But the, the point is, when we have fear and then we also recognize the awesomeness of God, 
and we allow that, that reverence for him to let us take the step, it changes everything. doesn't mean that we'll never have fear again. What it means is if, we're, if we allow that relationship to move us in, in reverence to what God has called us to do, what he's saying is that, 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 it, that what this journey is is going to be both scary and exciting. It's going to be both terrifying and comforting all at the same time because it's doing things that we're not used to. It's, it's that fear. But it, the more we know God, the more we grow in our relationship with him because you'll notice what it brought them is they, they were terrified when they said, who is this? That even the wind, when they recognized the power of the guy sitting in their boat, they were like, this is crazy. Our fears are nothing compared to this guy who can tell the wind to stop, and it did. Folks, when we recognize and we grow in our relationship with God and we recognize that the one who we serve is the one who can do all of these things, and the more we know him and the more we love him and the more we allow that to be the thing that drives us, fears are still going to happen, but then we can allow that reverence to say, and God, we're going to take this step together. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John writes this, There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. He's not putting down when we have fears. What he's saying is the more you grow in this relationship and you know and you love God and you know who he is, the more you can allow those fears to become, God, but I trust you. God, I'm afraid, but I trust you. In amazement, I know what you can do and I trust you and I love you. And it's the fear that God... My question is, what's, what's stopping us from taking our next step? How is fear a factor in my journey today? What is God saying to you, calling you in your life or in your life of your spiritual journey, and how is fear playing a, a part in that? What is it that is stopping you from taking the next step that God has for you? And you know it's there. What's stopping you from taking it? At some point, fear is involved. So what is it that God could say to you to say, remember, I have a purpose for you. Listen to him. Go where he's called you to go. Follow his purpose. And then when the storm comes, remember the perspective that he's always in control. And rather than panic, fall on your knees and say, God, I praise you, and I know that you are God, and I know you can do this. And then watch his power do something that you could never imagine. That's what God wants to do in our lives. Would you bow your heads with me, please, as we wrap up the service this morning? As we consider that last question, how is fear a factor? What is stopping you from taking your next step? What do you know God is saying to you? And whatever it is, however you couch it, somehow there's a fear of something or there's an apprehension or there's a complacency, whatever. What is stopping you from taking the next step? And how would God want to change that today? For the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the journey and the steps that God is leading us and we're taking but the first thing we have to address is when those purpose comes and the problem arises, how are we going to handle that? What are we going to do with the fear that wants to stop us or wants to take the joy? So today, let's address that fear head on. What is it that's stopping you from taking your next step? What is it that God has spoken to you about today? Maybe there are some in this room that still to this day, you've not surrendered your life to follow Jesus to accept his gift of salvation to become one of his children. I don't know what it is, whatever the reasons you may have in your head, but ultimately it comes down to what would stop you today from saying, Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner. I believe you died and rose for me. I want to follow you with my life. What's stopping you from taking that step?
Well, Christians, there's a, there's a part of the step that God wants you to take, a part of this journey. Oh, man, it's scary. There, there's some that are, are going to be baptized in a couple of weeks. Maybe that's a step for you. Maybe it's becoming a part of God's family and serving in his church. Maybe whatever it is, there's a person that God wants you to speak to. There's a, a, an action that needs to change or an attitude and all these things. What's stopping you from taking that next step that God has for you? God has a purpose, and he's bigger than any of the problems. Are you willing to trust him today? Father, thank you for the journey that you brought us on, the journey of being a follower of yours, and the journey now of taking the next step, whatever that looks like in our life. But Father, fear is a real thing. Fear is something that will often stop us. Fear is something that will distract us and even just rob us of the the joy of the journey with you. So Lord, help us to face that fear. Recognize that no matter what we are going to go through or are going through, that you're bigger than all of that and to trust you. Not put our faith in anything else but you. God, give us that strength. I pray that as you're speaking to people today that you encourage them to take that next step. That they'll take the step of faith and they'll trust you in spite of their fears to do what you want to do in their life. And as we spend these next few weeks together, Lord, that you just make your steps clear to us and we allow you to to just motivate us and move us to take those steps in faith. Before I finish this prayer, I just want to encourage you. One of the greatest things we can do is pray. We fall on our knees. We open the word. So this morning, let's just do that. Take some time right where you're at, perhaps. Pray whatever that, that step is. Talk to God about it. Whatever that fear is, place that in his hands. But I would even encourage you maybe to pray with someone that you're together. What a way to start this journey series as a church together with our friends, our family. We just pray. We say, God, I, whatever step you call, I will take it. And when I get afraid, I'm going to turn. I'm going to praise. I want to just commit yourself to following him today. So as Chris continues to play, and he'll actually start singing in a moment when he does, just let's just make this a, a, a room full of prayer. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, if you want to know how you can know Christ as your Savior, we would love to pray with you. If you'll just step out and pray or from right where you're at, believers, let's just take this time and let's open up our hearts and pray to him. So as Chris starts to sing, let's just make this a time of prayer together today.